0: Hello! And welcome to Tales from Mysteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing season six, episode 21, A Little Night Music. Yep, we're near the end. We're nearly there, guys. We are near the end of season six. Anyway, I will be doing the overview of this episode and B will be giving us his trivia. So do you have anything to start us off with?
1: Yes. So this episode was written by Matt Berry. directed by David Warren and it first aired on the 2nd of May 2010 on this week, from Monday the twenty sixth of April to the Sunday the second of May, the number one song in the U.S. was "Nothing on You" by B.O.B. featuring Bruno, same as last week. Yeah. And in the U.K., it was "Once" by Diana Vickers, which I also think is the same as last week. It
0: was the same as last week. Yes. On the twenty
1: sixth of April, Iron Man two premiered in Los Angeles. Mm, okay. And on the first of May, Brian Adams was given the Governor General's Performing Arts Award for his thirty years of contributions to the arts. And also, in a more somber note a car bomb failed. Well, not on a somber note, actually. It failed to go off in Times Square, New York.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, that's not somber. That's
1: great news. Yeah, I think it's because I was reading a car bomb and I assumed that it was going to be bad, but I forgot that it wasn't bad. Yeah. So the title of this episode comes from the Stephen Sondheim musical of the same name. The episode was watched by 12.118 million viewers in its original broadcast And this episode starts a streak of 21 episodes for the series that all bill at least one special guest star, which is the biggest streak the show ever had, which ended with the episode Moments in the Woods. Oh, okay. And that is all I have for now, and I have a little bit more in trivia. Ooh,
0: some in trivia. Mm. So, previously on Desperate Housewives, Mike has borrowed money from Carlos in an effort to hide his growing debts from Susan. Andrew is working with Orson to find out what the deal is with Sam, Eddie is the Fairview Strangler and after killing his mum has agreed to move in with the Scarvos, and Angie admitted her pass to Gabby. So Bree and Sam are out shopping, and she is livid to see that they are out of cilantro, and apparently it's the employee's fault. Yeah, I don't remember what that is, but I think it's coriander. I think it's something like that. We call, it, we call it a different thing in the UK. but Yeah, it's, it's some sort of herb. It's a major herb in the words of Sam. So Sam sees a woman in the distance and leaves to grab something, which is something that they already have in the trolley. So Brie goes to follow Sam and sees him yelling at the woman. And he's not happy that she's here. But, you know, girl needed a job. Yeah. So Brie asks what he was talking to that woman about, but he clearly lies and tells her that they should just go to a different store. He, I mean, he claims to breathe that he was yelling at the woman for being out of a a major herb, but that's definitely not what was happening. What we heard with Sam and this woman is, "What are you doing here?" And she said, "I lost my job. I have to work somewhere." I feel like that would be even more disturbing than the truth if he was just yelling at her because they were out of a herb. Yeah, that That's is... even more psychotic behaviour than the real case. Yeah. And so, Brie comes back to the store to talk to the woman, Lillian, according to the name badge, to find out more about Sam and what that encounter was all about. And Lillian admits that she's Sam's mother, and then they go for coffee. Dun-dun-dun. Right? He Sam... was supposed to be dead. Yeah, Sam told us that his mother had died.
1: So, this is where my in-episode trivia comes in. I didn't think we'd be- we were going to be doing Brie's story, so I didn't think it'd come in this soon, and I might as well have just said it earlier. Yeah. Anyway, this episode introduces Linda Pearl, P-U-R-L, as Sam's mother, Lillian Allen. So Linda Pearl, and I just want to say, this might be the coolest person I've ever done trivia on on this show. Really? Linda Pearl was born in Greenwich, Connecticut, and raised in Japan, becoming the only foreigner to train at the Toho Gueno Academy. So at the Imperial Theatre in Tokyo, she played the role of Louise in The King and I in Japanese as well as Bette in Oliver and the role of Helen Keller in The Miracle Worker.
0: Wow.
1: She then went to England to study under Margaret Beale before returning to the United States to study at the Lee Strasberg Institute and later with Robert Lewis. Her stage credits include the Broadway musical *The Adventures of Tom Sawyer*, *Getting and Spending*, which ran on Broadway at the Helen Hayes Theater. She's an accomplished jazz singer, a mountain climber in her spare time, and she's known for her roles in film and TV, such as Dr. Ruth Young in *Mighty Young*, sorry, *Mighty Joe Young* in 1998. Susan Mercer in Claire Clarity, as in Claire ity kind of like Clarity, but Clarity, clarity yeah. in 2020. Sheila Munro in Visiting Hours in 1982. And Sarah Novelli in First Monday, which was a TV show. Okay. What a cool lady. Right? She's really lived a life. Don't mind That's me cool. just performing at japanese theaters in japanese and i'm gonna go mountain climbing and singing some jazz songs. right then
0: pop off to the uk to study for a bit more and then pop off to the us to study for a bit more there
1: sorry but this is this is the life i wish i had this is amazing right
0: oh okay well miss pearl (laughs) congratulations miss pearl congratulations to you girl for having such a wonderful well i say it's a wonderful life it sounds exciting yeah it sounds really cool i don't remember being in this very much she wasn't this is the only episode she's in Ah, that's a waste. It is a real waste. So apparently Lillian's manager says she can take a break early and then she tells Brie they have five minutes. Brie wants to know why Sam would tell everyone that she's dead and she tells Brie that Sam found a letter that Rex sent her after he got married to Brie and the letter asked for full-time custody, which Lillian declined, but Sam found out and went mental. And that's essentially it. All she can say to Brie about Sam is, he's a complicated boy. That's really her catchphrase. Yeah, Brie has questions,
1: but the main thing that she
0: wants to know, and we know it's the main thing because she repeats it,
1: is why would he pretend that his mother's dead? Yeah. And all she says is, he's a complicated boy, and that concerns me greatly. But yeah, it is a good thing that Andrew didn't take him up on that offer for a death certificate.
0: Yeah, because what would have happened? Like Andrew, Andrew felt guilty that he called out Sam for a lie, and Sam was prepared for it. And he was like, "No, she's dead. Like I can get the death certificate." Blah blah blah. And so then Andrew felt guilty for it and didn't and didn't press any further. Andrew should have pressed further. Yeah, that's on you, Andrew. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't bitter enough in the moment. No, you weren't. Should have followed through. You felt guilt, and guilt's a fool's game. Yeah, guilt is for losers. <laughs> So in the next scene, Brie is bitching about Sam to Orson, telling him how this situation has forced her to remember that Rex was also a liar. And Sam is, in the words of Barbara Orlovsky, just like his father. <laughs> mm-hmm. Orson can't help but glow, And that's the kind of energy that Andrew needed. <laughs> that is the kind of energy Andrew needed. I love Orson in this scene. He's so much fun. Yeah. So they share a moment. And by they, I mean Orson and Brie. And then Sam enters. So Brie asks Orson to leave them alone and she tells sam that she went back to the store and met his mother and then orson interrupts by saying that he's not gone yet as he's trying to like hurriedly wheel himself yeah give the man a minute so sam is clearly but her about everything and is a very angry little man getting very upset about the fact that his mother loved him and didn't want him to go but all he cares about was the fact that andrew got everything because he grew up with rex and he got nothing because his mother was a povo bitch yeah and that's literally what his problem is. Yeah, pretty much. And he has massive disrespect for Vases. He really does. Like he destroys Breeze Vase that she's like flower arranging in. He proper like chunks that plant. Right, chunks. He chunks up plant. I heard it on the Office Ladies podcast. What, chunks?
1: Yeah, and the... What's her name? Angela. She um, always used to think the word
0: Chuck was chunk, and I don't know, I picked up on it because I thought it was funny. So Bree invites Andrew over so that she can apologise, and Andrew accepts it, and they hug, which is lovely. It was really nice to see that it really didn't take a lot for the two of them to make up. Like, Andrew walks in, and Brie says, I'm sorry, Like, I invited you over here to apologise. And then Andrew says, well, if it comes with one of your muffins, I might just accept it. And then they hug.
1: Yeah, quite frankly, it's the briefest and easiest apology scene that I've ever seen in my life. I
0: wasn't satisfied. Really? Were you not? I felt like it really worked for the two of them. Brie and Andrew probably fall out quite a bit. So I very much imagine they have the whole apologising to each other down to a (laughs) T. (laughs) <laughs> I know, but if I were Andrew, I would be taking in the apologising mum coming down a peg a bit more. And Bree doesn't look like the kind of person that would apologise a lot. Mm-hmm. So you take it when you can get it. Yeah, she's not Lynette. No. Bree admits that they should never have trusted Sam. And then Bree, Andrew and Orson discuss what they could do about him now. Because Brie doesn't think it would be very simple considering, you know, the side of him she saw the night before to just get rid of him. Yeah, concerning. She says that she's scared of him. And to me,
1: I'm like, that's even more of a reason to get rid of him than really. Yeah. Like, you can't have someone around, especially in your workplace, that you're scared of. That you're
0: scared of. No, especially when they've got power in that company. You've given Sam power in your company. Honestly, this is a lawyer's wet dream if she sues him. Right. So let's move on to Lynette. So Mary Alice starts the episode properly by teaching us about Stranger Danger. Now, it's actually concerning how many predatory adults there are trying to offer sweets to kids or get MJ in their car. So glad you said it. On this lane. And so, in this one, Mary Alice, like I said, stranger danger. And so, we see clips of someone trying to give sweets to one eater or opening the car door to try and get MJ in the car. Thank Um, God Gabby fake kidnapped him. Right. He's learned his lesson. And it's quite terrifying how many attempts there are to kidnap children on this one lane that have gone unnoticed. <laughs> to the point where you think this might actually be a hint at a future season, that there's some sort of predator on the lane. No, we've already had that. Well, uh, and we got rid of them. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the Scarvos and Penny opens the door and then closes it, but it's Eddie. <laughs> so obviously... <laughs> he hasn't moved in yet, I guess. Now, Eddie was her brother's best man. He's over here regularly, so why wouldn't Penny know him and let him in? It's like she has a fifth sense. I've got <laughs> ESPN or it's something. I've like got ESPN or something. Yeah, she she knows what he's about. Yeah, turns out Eddie has done the shopping for Lynette to help her out and earn his keep. And Eddie offers to grab the laundry, but Lynette tells him it's Porter's turn, who refuses because he's running late. He talks to his mum a tad disrespectfully but only in sort of the standard way a teenager talks to his mum where he's just like mum chill it's only water like calm down like eddie calls porter out on it by saying dude don't talk to your mum that way oh that made me cringe right and then porter kind of gives eddie a weird look and then he goes to leave but Lynette stops him and says no you ain't walking through that door until those clothes are in the dryer so then porter kind of Rolls his eyes and calls Lynette a bitch under his breath, which, which is the disrespectful part. And then Eddie hears that and rugby tackles Porter
1: to the floor. The, the whole scene really ramped up a little bit there, didn't it? It escalated
0: quickly. The violence is not cute. Lynette runs over and gets Eddie off of her son. Before he punches him. Yeah, and tells... Porter to go join his friends who are outside, and then Eddie apologizes and goes to sort the laundry, leaving Lynette just a little bit concerned. Yeah, well, you know what? You got you got off lucky, mate. Yeah, he really did. Quite frankly,
1: sorry, I know this isn't the point, but if you've got a chore to do and it's your turn to do the laundry,
0: maybe don't arrange for your friends to come over before you've actually finished it. It's also going to take two seconds to move the laundry from the washing machine to the dryer be thankful you've got a dryer and you don't have to like pack it all in a basket take it outside hang it up so it can dry like most people dry their clothing although quite frankly you live in america it's hot all the time and you shouldn't be running a dryer
1: with your the amount of people in your house yeah just hang outside but Um, not the point anyway
0: it will take seconds just do it your friends can wait they can wait they're not gonna go anywhere or you you could literally have just run outside so really sorry just gotta quickly help my mum with something i'll be out in two minutes or get eddie or lynette too yeah next scene lynette comes downstairs to eddie's bed the sofa to talk to him about what happened this morning and then he immediately goes to the worst case scenario of lynette being mad and wanting to kick him out so Lynette calms him down, reassures him, and then explains that, you know, Lynette's family doesn't always appreciate her. Eddie says it makes him angry when they push her around, and then Lynette doesn't deny this, but she tells Eddie it can't happen again, and then she gives him some advice about how to calm himself down, because she grew up with an alcoholic mother as well, so she knows how he feels. Mm. Did you...
1: Now, this is interesting. So Lynette reveals how she learned to deal with things as a child of an alcoholic mother, and she talks about... these breathing techniques and putting her hand to her chest, which I think might have something to do with how she acts when she's sorry all the time. Yes. Because we've made a joke of it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hand to the the chest. It's
0: the hand hand to the chest, yeah. maybe
1: this might be like a subconscious coping mechanism for when she feels either confrontation or uncomfortable, and she's reverting back to that.
0: Or... Maybe the writers have seen that Lynette constantly does the hand to the chest and she apologises and they've made an inside joke of it.
1: <laughs> you think that it might be like retroactively inserting a reason? Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting.
0: No, it was. It was a really good um, thing to point out. So Lynette goes to leave and Eddie apologises again and Lynette accepts it and tells him that it can't happen again. But then she thanks him for wanting to sort of step in and help. The cute. Yeah, it was very cute. Tom comes home from his business trip and gets instantly pissed at Lynette for not having food waiting for him. Oh, Probably made gosh. worse by the fact that his flight was apparently awful. He begins to disrespect Lynette in front of Eddie, who does, in his defense, try the thing that Lynette was telling him to try. Good for the little psycho. <laughs> right? He, he did genuinely try what Lynette's advice was. And Tom is really disrespecting Lynette. Yeah, this is a really
1: uncomfortable scene. Tom is pretty much at his worst here. Yeah,
0: and you've got a guest here, someone that's not a part of your family, sat at that table and you're just happy to talk to your wife like shit in front of him. It's an uncute look. And it's proper, like, the toxic,
1: toxic masculinity of the age.
0: Yeah, where he comes home and he's like, I don't see a plate with foil. And then Lynette's like, well, one of our demons spawn must have inhaled it. And it's like, well, I always had dinner for you These when ki- you were on the road. These kids are so disrespectful. Yeah, I know. That they would eat their dad's dinner as well. So Lynette starts to see that Eddie is freaking out and reverting back to the way that he was with porter and so she runs into tom's arms and kisses him which calms eddie down but tom does also kind of disrespect eddie a little bit here yeah
1: he's like what's wrong with him make him shut up he's like
0: him to put a sock in it you know i say let the psycho dog go ham on tom yeah he's the one i'd say let let eddie loose on him later that night lynette tells tom of the eddie issues that he's missed and tom wants him out but Lynette wants to get him therapy or for everyone to just stop disrespecting her, which would be the cheaper option, and so then Tom agrees to the therapy.
1: Well, it's funny that they played it that way, but in all fairness, the therapy is necessary. The therapy is necessary, yes. But Tom does have a point, and it sounds harsh, but you have to put your own kids and family first, right? And having this guy around
0: who's clearly a danger to them might not actually be the best solution. I mean, Lynette's got the best intentions yeah, with Eddie. Yeah, I don't think she's But for it. She's not, no, she's not. It's, what, it's like what I said in the, the previous episode, like helping bringing a child in to your house that's clearly got problems isn't going to be an easy thing. Yeah. Eddie is finishing up his first therapy session and then the therapist tells Lynette that Eddie has issues they need to work on but he thinks it would be more productive if they got Barbara involved in the sessions too but Eddie doesn't think it's possible that she would agree. Okay, now there's no way they can afford therapy sessions that are over $100 an hour, plus run their dryer, right? Lynette's like, oh, so um, what what do we need to do? You know, how many how much longer do we have to do therapy at $130 an hour?
1: Yeah. And that also dryers are probably like $130 an hour as well. Yeah, I mean, they being dramatic, but they're expensive. They <laughs> are
0: really expensive. This family can't afford that. No. So Lynette thinks that she can get Barbara in. And in normal circumstances, Lynette would get Barbara here. Oh, yeah. She really would. We know what she's like. Yeah, she'd she'd have no problem, like, kicking down Barbara's door and dragging her to this therapist's office. But Lynette can't raise the dead. Mm. Yet. So Lynette goes over to Barbara's, but nobody answers. And she gets stopped by a neighbour who says that nobody's seen her for days. (laughs) (laughs) But the car is still outside, which is weird. Eddie, why didn't you get rid of the car? Yeah, because isn't his mum in the car? You've strangled her. Oh, no, no, no. Is she not? No, he drove her and buried her, didn't he?
1: then why not get rid
0: of her car? This It's
1: not his first victim. It's a pretty amateur mistake.
0: Because it would probably be more obvious if he just dumped the body and then left the car somewhere and then the car is found, which would then indicate, oh, Barbara's missing. Yeah, it doesn't feel very well thought out, but he wasn't he a, thinking. No, and he is a teenager. We've put Susan and Gabby's stories together because really they go hand in hand for this episode. So Mike pops over to visit Carlos and give him his first payment back on the loan, which is positive. That seemed very quick for a first payment back on a loan. Yeah, but I
1: think this might be a whole the first payment for looks kind of thing. Like, oh, look, here's the first
0: payment. See, you can trust me. But... I don't think you should be paying him back this soon. No, but Carlos even says, like, there's no rush. We'll get we'll get to it. But Carlos does say, like, there's no rush in paying pay me back. Mike sits there and says, I've thought of so many ways to start saving money, this, this, this. I'm just concerned that he wants to pay back too soon and he's going to get himself in more debt. This is why you just don't borrow money from friends. So, like I said, Mike says he's going to be making a lot of cutbacks in order to pay him back fully as soon as possible. And Carlos tells him to take his time. But let's just make sure that Gabby doesn't find out. He comes back inside to find sexy Gabby, but doesn't want to have sex because he knows that means Gabby wants something expensive and right now Carlos can't afford it. And he's not wrong. Gabby wants a ski chalet that's on offer, but Carlos even refuses the prospect of honeymoon sex, telling Gabby that their money is tied up in a business deal right now and he refuses to give her the details. And so she covers herself up and storms off.
1: I find it funny that this story mirrors an earlier story with Tom and Lynette because Tom and Lynette had a story where he thought that, all sex was transactional yes. and Linette said it's not like that at all which was very normal and realistic mm. and then you got Gabby and Carlos on the complete opposite end on the like the other side of the spectrum who are just a comedy couple where for Gabby yeah. it is completely transactional
0: it is completely transactional but we've seen this from Gabby before because like when um it is the same season but as in like we saw it from Gabby seasons ago mm. that um it was transactional for her and I think it was when they were getting divorced and then she found out that Carlos had just accepted a new business deal so she had sex with him to prolong the divorce and try and get more money (laughs) yeah so mike comes home to susan and finds a piano in his front room but it turns out that it was free from a dead relative of susan's however she wants to tell gabby that it costs a lot of money because she's fed up of gabby getting cool things and showing them off to her but mike puts his foot down and tells her that she is not to do such a thing such a horrid heinous thing Even though that's not the real reason why he doesn't want to do it. No, it's not. But you know what? Everyone wants to do impressive things and show off to their friends whether they admit it or not. Exactly. I would totally, like, I'm sure Mike would have been completely down with this if the circumstances were different. I'm down with it. i do exactly the same thing. He would like to pretend that he's above it all, but it's just a natural human response. Like, oh, look at this cool thing that I've got. That none of my friends have. And Gabby, the rich one, always gets nice things. So this is my turn to kind of make gabby a little bit jealous i don't blame her i do exactly the same thing yeah moving back to gabby she's talking to carlos's business manager to try and find out where her ski house money has gone but he won't say anything as carlos has sworn him to secrecy gabby then forces him to touch her inappropriately and then threatens to tell carlos about it so she can force his hand and he admits that carlos gave fifty thousand <laughs> to mike and susan to help them
1: she's literally like figuratively
0: and actually force in the guy's hand (laughs) yeah literally this this moment hasn't aged well this is the not aged well moment of the episode
1: in a technical term it hasn't aged well but i do still find it funny oh it's hilarious it's just
0: gabby's devious and she would do that gabby is now upset because she knows susan and mike are having money problems and she's a bit sad to hear that susan as one of her closest friends hasn't said anything about it but she does promised the business manager that she would keep her mouth shut and she won't tell carlos that she knows Mm. gabby then goes over to visit susan and brings some shopping because apparently she accidentally bought too much and needs susan to do her a favor and take some of it
1: yeah her being charitable is awkward because it's just very very unsubtle
0: you're you're afraid that canned peaches and condensed milk will go off you know if the
1: character of gabby were a better actor I'd buy it because I'd be like, yeah, she probably literally just bought way too much food and yeah. didn't realise. Yeah, but Gabby is not a good actor. <laughs> exactly. The character isn't a good actor. Eva so... Ligoria
0: is fabulous <laughs> because she can.
1: She is a great actress who can act terribly. 100%. We're not talking about the, 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 the actors. We're talking about the characters. The yeah. characters are so bad. I would buy it if
0: Gabby was a good actor and just said, I bought too much food. Take it, please. <laughs> please take it for, from me.
1: I haven't got enough space in the cupboards anymore.
0: Before Gabby can leave, Susan brings her in and shows her the new old piano. Susan tells her the cost, and then Gabby questions whether it's a good time to be spending so much money what with Mike's truck only just getting repossessed. But Susan tells her they just came into a lot of money and then offers Juanita and Celia to use it and take lessons, should they want to, because MJ will be taking lessons. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure this is also the only time we see this piano. Well, probably because they're gonna sell it. That's true! So Gabby then leaves, and then storms right back in, telling Susan that she knows about Mike's money troubles <laughs> and how Carlos lent him the money, but Susan is clueless, claiming that Mike told her business picked up.
1: You know, that was a long time for Gabby, though. She probably thought, I shouldn't go back in, and that thought process that went through her head when she left... Is that, growth. That was a long time that's, for her. That's
0: growth. And um, But Gabby
1: storms right back in, and she's like, you owe me $50,000. And Susan, you're in financial crisis. Turn off the lights.
0: Yeah, turn off the lights.
1: Oh, my dad would be so upset.
0: But she doesn't know she's in a financial crisis. Mike's told her that business has picked up. But that doesn't mean turn you should off keep the, the lights. Light. <laughs> it's not good <laughs> for the environment either, is it?
1: No, it's not. My dad would be so angry. So, when, was my when we were mom. growing up, my dad was constantly like, Turn off the light. Yeah, I know. Like, if we were about to leave the room, we'd be like, Turn off the light. I am like, I'm, What's about to?
0: I wasn't allowed to have the light on with the curtains open. Nor was I. Or, like, if you're watching TV, turn off the light. Yeah. Closing the door if the heat is on. Yep. Which I've carried into my adult life as well. Yeah, we're not I'm paying to heat the, the whole house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dad would be
1: so upset watching this scene.
0: <laughs> Susan admits to lying about the piano to Gabby in an attempt to just make her jealous and they hatch a plan to get them back. And Gabby does admit that if the circumstances (laughs) were different, she (laughs) so would have fallen for it. Yeah, I I would have been jealous. Oh, honey, under different circumstances, that so would have worked. I love that moment. (laughs) I really liked that. Gabby and Carlos come over to Susan's for dinner. And before Mike comes downstairs, she tells Carlos about the piano. Gabby's there doing her best acting. Credit, Credit to her. And then Gabby tells Carlos the price and that Mike keeps telling everyone she inherited it so she doesn't sound like they're bragging. Yeah. Uh, Mike then joins them from downstairs and Gabby and Susan go to check on dinner and Carlos then questions the piano to Mike and then Mike tells him that Susan inherited it without blinking because it's not a lie. Wow, without even blinking. <laughs> Carlos It's like, fuck me, my best friend can lie. Yeah. The ladies come back and then they split the husbands up. So Carlos and Susan go lay the table and Gabby and Mike go get the wine. And this is where it gets a little bit mental. Mm. Now, this is where the plan really starts to kick off. Yeah. <laughs> so sorting out the wine, Gabby bursts into fake tears to Mike, telling him she thinks Carlos is having an affair because he's been keeping secrets and hiding a lot of money. Now, you just know that if she did this fake crying, Carlos would instantly have spotted it. Carlos would, yeah. That's why he's not here. That's why he's completely out. But Mike tries to convince Gabby that it's not that without letting on the truth. But now Gabby just believes that Mike is covering for him. And then she claims that Carlos's phone shows that he's called this house a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's when Mike basically is like, well, he's not been calling me. Mm. And then that plants the seed, the next seed. We then cut to Susan and Carlos, who are setting the table, and then she pretends to lose a $3,000 earring, and then brags to Carlos about how generous Mike is now that they're rich once again. Again, these the characters are such bad actors, they really but are. the men just fall for
1: it hook, line, and sinker.
0: Every single time, because Mike, I would have guessed that this is fake from Susan, exactly. but Carlos will But you split them up. Oh, no, there it is. That would have been 3000 out the window. <laughs> yeah, and what a weird <laughs> thing to say. Then Mike and Carlos manage to get away from the ladies and meet each other, and then Mike goes to warn Carlos that Gabby thinks he's having an affair, and Carlos comes to bitch to him about pissing away his loan. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's a bit of confusion because Mike thinks that Carlos is having sex with someone else, but he's paying for it. It's a great comedy of misunderstandings. Which Desperate Housewives, like we've said several times before, does so well. Yeah, we praise every time. You know what we're going to say, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the ladies then come back with the food and then Susan shoves her breast in Carlos's face and we have a clip. I saw that. Saw so what?
1: You, leering at Susan's breasts. I was looking
0: at the pasta.
1: Susan's breasts just happened to be hovering nearby. <laughs> Gabby, leave Carlos alone. Oh my God, it's you. Excuse me? You're the one Carlos is having an affair with. What? What? Makes perfect sense. That's why there were all those phone calls to this house from his cell phone? You looked at my cell phone? Yes, and thank God I did. Whore! Shamelessly shoving your meatballs in my husband's face. There was no shoving. Sometimes they spontaneously heave.
0: This has some of the best
1: lines. Yeah, I mean, obviously the (laughs) whore is very funny. (laughs) And thank God
0: I did. Whore! The one I wrote (laughs) down was, there was no shoving. Sometimes they spontaneously heave. (laughs) So she admits to sleeping with Carlos for money, as Mike refused to accept hers, and then Carlos and Mike get up, like, about to fight. It's very sexy. And the ladies are just having, like, look at each other and giggle. Yeah, the girls, like, have a laugh between them, and then they admit that they've set this whole thing up for revenge. Susan, because she felt hurt and betrayed, and Gabby, because she wants her ski house.
1: Yeah, I just did it because I went to ski, (laughs) chalet.
0: Yeah, which is...
1: She's a simple woman with expensive taste, okay? It's,
0: it's a real mood. The lengths that she will go to get herself a ski chalet. Yeah, she's... Uh, it's it's very Gabby. Later that evening, Mike apologises again, and Susan wants his word that he will never freeze her out like this. Mike has given her all of his documents and, you know, other bits and pieces, so Susan can go through them all and see how bad the problem is, and so Mike just leaves her to it.
1: There's nothing more scary than uh, for an adult than just seeing a table with... Boxes and boxes of debt. Yeah. Paperwork as well. Yeah.
0: And that is Susan and Gabby's joint storyline.
1: Yeah. Getting back
0: at the men. The best one of this episode, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. The funniest one. Oh my God. They work so well together. Like I said, I think we said it in the previous episode. They work so well together. So it really was a shame that they didn't get along. Yep. But credit to the both of them for not showing that on screen whatsoever. Yeah, because they've had some great times in this season. They really have. Like when their kids are trying to sell chocolate, you know, that whole competition. Loved it. Finally, we move on to Angie Bolan. We see Angie's connection to Patrick Logan at the very beginning of this episode. Uh, but it's pretty much all the info we already know. Her and Patrick were in love. He convinced her to get more aggressive. An undercover cop, Nick, was determined to stop them. And Angie wanted to turn herself in for the death that she had caused. But she was pregnant. So Nick convinced her to run away with him. Yes. In the words of Carly Ray Jepsen.
1: So she was pregnant when she ran away from Patrick.
0: Yeah. We then cut to Patrick entering the coffee shop. I'm um, assuming to continue his novel. And then Danny also says here that he made chocolate scones.
1: He's very flirty with with um, Patrick in these scenes. But I'm Maybe of, Danny's I'm...
0: gay and he has a thing for daddies.
1: I don't think so. I think that maybe Danny is quite
0: flirtatious with most customers to get some tips. Oh, maybe he does strike me as the kind of person that would do that. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, <laughs> he's attractive got, he's enough. He's saving up for a car. He's attractive enough as well. So he would get the tips yeah. from the gays and the girls. Yeah. We then cut to evening and Nick goes for a run, but gets hit by Patrick in his car, right on the lane as well. Like that same lane. You see Gabby's house in the background.
1: Yeah, this seems to happen to a lot of people that live on Wisteria Lane. They get hit by cars, like proper run down by cars. This
0: only happened to two people.
1: Exactly. And that's enough.
0: Nick and, um... Mike. That wasn't on the lane.
1: No, but it happened to people that live on Mysteria Lane.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a bad omen. Andrew comes to visit Nick in the hospital to berate him for running at night with nothing bright or reflective on, which, credit, is correct. He wasn't (laughs) in that scene wearing anything bright or reflective. While he was running at night. Like, In the road, I would like to point out as well. he wasn't even running on the path. Yeah, I made a note of that because I thought Angie's been waiting for the opportunity to call him out for that stupidity. She really She's has. probably
1: mentioned it so many times. He's like, oh, I'll be fine.
0: He's there like, oh, you brought me flowers. And she's like, well, I did want to get you a t-shirt that said I'm an idiot for running at night with no nothing bright on. But they didn't have anything like that at the gift shop. She's definitely brought up before. Yeah, she Eventually, has. Eventually,
1: she's probably been like, oh, it's not even worth it anymore.
0: No. Nick warns Angie that this person that hit him... Did it deliberately. Mm -hmm. And then they start to panic that maybe it's Patrick. So Nick tells Angie to go home, pack a couple of bags and grab some money and go without him to the place that they had discussed previously. So they've obviously got an exit strategy. Should something like this happen. She refuses and she tells Nick that she'll send Danny, but they stay together. Send Danny. Send Danny. So Angie says that they've been on the run for Patrick for 20 years. Mm. But
1: they said that they ran off when she was pregnant. Danny's not 20. He's in high school.
0: Oh, that's true. Unless he's got pushed back a lot. That is true. I mean, it might very well be that because they were on the run, he did join school later. So he is behind. But I... It's a stretch. It is a real stretch. Again, another continuity error, it seems, with Desperate Housewives. If you're going to say she's been on the run since she was pregnant,
1: maybe make it 16 years. Mm. Yeah, and... Every show has the continuity geeks. Yeah, I gotta point it out, does. And those lame ass guys that have nothing better to do than to make a podcast about a show and then point out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what losers. <laughs> but yeah, nineteen could be nineteen. It's just it feels like a bit of a stretch. It does feel like a bit of a stretch. worth pointing
0: out. Yeah, no, no, it was worth pointing out definitely. So Angie gives Danny some money and tells him that he has to go and but stay indoors until he hears from her again, Danny thinks that this is all stupid because they don't know if he is even around. But in order to humour his mum, he does as she asks, even though in my notes I did write, in order to humour his money, he does as he asks. (laughs) Yeah, I'll humour the money. (laughs) I'll humour the money. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, Danny doesn't really think that it's worth panicking about because nobody's actually seen Patrick. It's all speculation. It's a sensible thought. It is a sensible thought. it's been a long time. And Angie does make a valid point here where she basically says, look, if I'm wrong, then all I am is wrong, but if I'm right and you don't bugger off, then there's going to be problems.
1: Yeah, and the logic of her saying that sounds so airtight that I could use that for anything.
0: Yeah. If I'm wrong, <laughs> then all I am is wrong, but if I'm right. Yeah. I could yeah. Back at the hospital, they're going to be putting Nick into a coma to relieve some of the swelling on his brain. And look at this, we've got another coma storyline. Mike coma. and then Julie and then Nick. <laughs> Yeah, so another story of someone being run over with a car, another coma. Yeah. <laughs> so Nick wants Angie to join Danny, but she wants to bring Danny back because it's been three days since she sent him away and nothing else has happened. So she eventually gives in to like Nick to calm him down, and then she says goodbye and she heads home to pack her stuff. But when she walks through the door, all the candles are lit and Patrick is there waiting for her with a gun. Mm-hmm. He lit every candle in the house. Now, that's quite the flair for
1: drama for just... That's very gay. Every character that John Barrowman would ever play. Right. The flair for drama.
0: It's very Disney villain. Yeah. She tells Pat that he'll never find Danny, but he doesn't seem to care. He's here because he needs a (laughs) favour. But he wants to discuss it in the morning because he's tired. Because, you know, trying to bond with their son over coffee and writing a fake novel and hitting down, in Patrick Logan's words, Dudley douchebag was really quite tiring. And so he tells Angie that her and Nick will both live as long as she does what he says. And that's the end of the episode.
1: Yeah. And that's quite the power play. Yeah. He's like, I know you're not going to turn me in. And I know you're not going to kill me because I know you. So I'm
0: going to go sleep in your guest room. Yeah. Because he does say, you can't turn me in because the police are looking for you. So, kind of giving away your position. And you've clearly got a problem with killing people. Yeah, we know how you feel about killing people. <laughs> yeah, so you're not going to kill me. So, when I said that was the end of the episode, it's not quite the end of the episode, but... But just the whole... Is. That, it's just so villainous to be like, I'm going to go sleep in your guest room like the power play of it all. Yeah. So, we end the episode with Mary Alice talking about mysterious men and how they make promises they do not intend to keep. And we see... <laughs> Patrick heading to bed. Ooh, (laughs) how mysterious. Brie nervous around Sam, Lynette worried about Eddie, and Susan looking out of a window. Yeah, well, well, she would. So that is
1: the end of the episode. Yeah. So now that that's over, let's move on to our next segments where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. So Joel, what do you have
0: for the gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment i'm gonna give it to susan for laying on a piano for god knows how long in order to have a dramatic moment with mike when he walks through that door yeah that's that's quite disney that's very disney gay like the disney gays
1: oh you oh you mean the disney i thought you meant the disney gays i thought you meant the disney gays yeah and what do you have for your straightest moment
0: my award for straightest moment I'm going to give it to Tom for absolutely rinsing Lynette for not having any dinner for him when he gets home. Oh, yeah. That was quite the straight moment, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I was going to give it to Bree and Sam for, like, being a Karen and cussing out And then he's the like, store employee. we but don't then, have
1: any food. You couldn't have gone shopping. It's been days. Right?
0: But even Eddie went and did the shopping.
1: Oh, yeah. Where did all the food go? Exactly.
0: Eddie was like, oh, I, I saw you were running low, so I bought some supplies. And then Tom comes home and he's like, I've been gone for days. What have you done?
1: God, these are little demons, aren't they? They've gone through all that
0: food. And now we move on to breeze. No, not breeze. <laughs> and now we move on to Bee's Awards for Best and Worst Parent. So who do you have for the best parent? So my award for... Best Parent of the Episode.
1: I gave it to Lynette for sending Eddie to therapy. Yeah. Because I thought it was the easiest thing I could do.
0: Fair. That's fair.
1: That's a, that's a great thing to do. It is. It's a really nice thing to do. Because we know that the kid needs it. Yeah. And who do you have for your worst parent? So, my award for. Worst parent of the episode. So, this is a joint one, and I'm giving it to Susan and Mike for having all of the lights on throughout the day during their financial crisis.
0: It's not Susan's fault. They're throwing
1: money down the drain, which they need to stop. But it's not Susan's
0: fault. I mean, it's her fault for having all the lights on, but she doesn't know it. it's a financial crisis. Well, then Mike's she's told her well otherwise. Well, she'll bloody well cause one like that. Yeah, well, she's just going based off of the information that Mike
1: has been telling her. You know what? No, absolutely not. So it goes to them... And yeah, you're practically throwing money down the drain. I mean, you are. Which he's just going to have to dish back up because he's a plumber. So to everyone that got an award, bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. That was season six, episode 21, A Little Night Music. If anyone has any questions, queries, comments, and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram, at BoyfriendsReveal. We also have email which is at outlook.com and all of the artwork is done by Louis who you can find on Instagram at design, and there's a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. Yeah. Don't forget to leave us a review on preferably Apple Podcasts but if there is a review service offered by your, by your podcast service then absolutely that too. Join us next time when we'll be back in your ear holes with season six episode 22 The Ballad of
0: Booth. Oh, that's an interesting title. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, see you then. See you then, guys. Bye.